And as we journey with God, our trust in Him should grow. In our relationship with God, trust has to work differently from how we trust people. Because if we bring the system of how we trust people into our relationship with God, we're going to expect something from Him. And when we think He doesn't deliver, our trust in Him will be affected. But we need to realize we should take a posture that God must always be trusted no matter what. If we are really truly born again, that must be an intentional thing we do. I trust you, even when it doesn't make sense. Why should we do that? Because we cannot possibly fathom, we cannot possibly fathom the plans and intentions of the one who created the universe. And therefore we cannot apply our trust system to him in the same way we apply it to people. Can you see that? Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. I love this sound. It's the sound of life. It's awesome. Yo, I had such a great time in worship. Did you guys have a great time? Yo, powerful. God is good. God is good. Amen. Is everyone doing well? Everyone doing well? Everyone good? Thank you, Jesus. If anyone's not doing well, please come and tell us so we can pray with you. And um, we trust that God will do big things today. I trust that even in that worship session that there was breakthrough, there was healing, there was all kinds of amazing things happening. That's what our God does. Thank you, Lord. So those of you who... uh, have seen the messages go out or saw our Facebook messages, we'll know that we are starting a new series today called Rain in Life. And um, our church is almost a year old. In, in November, yeah, next month is our birthday month. Come on. We are turning one. Yay. Lord, uh, the, God showed me last year in October to plant a church 22 November to have our first meeting. And, um, and it's quite cool. This year, the 21st of November falls on a Sunday. So we can make that our main birthday Sunday. And, um, and then the money will be the actual one. But I think we need to make the whole month a birthday month. And I'm trusting God that it will also be the month that we move into our new bigger venue. Uh, so let's, you know, please keep trusting with us for that. It's exciting. And so you've hopefully noticed by now that our main values are encounter God. Why? Because when we encounter Him, we cannot leave unchanged. We learn to align with His purposes so that we can reign in life, as Paul says. And I'll read that scripture to you now. And to help others to do the same. That's where discipleship and spiritual family comes in. And... um, And then the first message that I felt God put on my heart to speak on was trust. And I was first like, but we've already spoken on trust. And then it's like God said, yes, but do you think they trust me? (laughs) Do they really trust me? 
And then God showed me the, uh, I'll, get, I'll get to it now, obviously, the story of Gideon. And I just started seeing a whole other side to the story that God wants to share with us today. So I'm excited about it. I hope you are as well. As we start reading scripture together and get into this, please be expecting that God is going to minister to you exactly where you are, exactly what you are going through. Amen? All right. So let's start with the, the scripture that, that the, the series is based on, Romans 5, verse 17. Paul is ministering in his letter to the people and saying, For if by one man's offense, he's referring to Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. All of these words are very important. We cannot reign in life on our own. We cannot reign in life in our own strength. It is through the one, Jesus Christ, that we have access to be able to reign in life. And then we need God's and the Holy Spirit's leading on what does that look like. And the first topic that I said we are going to speak about is trust. I want to share a couple of well-known verses about trusting God with you. I want to share some definitions that come from the, the Hebrew. There's different words in Hebrew that they translate into trust. I want to show you that. And then I want to share some thoughts, and we're going to get into the story of Gideon. All right? Are you ready? Three of you. All right? Where's the rest? Are you ready? Yes. Come on, church. All right, Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. I want you to, I know you've, some of you have heard this many times. I want you to choose to be like, I'm hearing this for the first time. And I want you to focus on every word. Listen to this. This is the writer of Proverbs giving a command. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Psalm 37, verse 3 to 6. Trust in the Lord, and do good. Dwell in the land, and feed on His faithfulness. What a line. Feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way. We had the same language in, in uh, Proverbs. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice in the noonday. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall. And what does delight mean? It means that we love Him. We trust Him. In the context of this, it's about trusting Him, giving our lives to Him. Amen? Jeremiah 17, verse 7 to 8. This is a favorite family verse, one of our latest favorites, and it's also the verse that we associate with our oldest boy, Leon's name. Uh, his name, Leon, means, uh, means willow tree. And a willow tree is also always planted by a water source. Listen to this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And whose hope is in the Lord. Who wants to be blessed? Trust in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. For he shall be 
like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its root by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Amen? Powerful verses. So good. I wanted you to hear those and let that truth start coming into your spirit being, all right? Because it's one thing to hear the Word of God. It's another thing to do and apply the Word of God to our lives. The definition of trust from different Hebrew words, I want to give you these four definitions. The, the one thing that's fascinating about the Hebrew language is that it talks about, it's always physical and tangible. Um, English is a more abstract language. It's got more abstract con, uh, um, concepts. But when we, when, when we hear the, in context of the Hebrew, it kind of helps us. So the trust in Hebrew, the one meaning uh, refers to to lean on something. If you, can, if you can get this picture of, you know, your friends, maybe you've, you've hurt your ankle or hurt your leg or something, and you need someone to lean on to move forward. It's that picture that we need to get. Lean on someone or something. The other definition is to cling to. <laughs> that word cling is like you're clinging for dear life, you know, clinging to that. And it's, the third one is knowing. Some, uh, they say in some translations, they take the, this specific word and they translate it as hope. But this one commentator said, this word is actually stronger than hope. It is a knowing that it will happen. So that's trust, is knowing that it will happen. And the fourth one is, it is to be firm or on a firm foundation. So when we, when, when we think of trust and when we read these scriptures we just read, I want you to every time think it's about leaning on God, clinging to God, knowing that He is trustworthy, and being firm in, uh, knowing that He is a firm foundation I can stand on. Okay, are you with me? All right. <laughs> Some of you who have been awake and been with us for the last few months will know that I have spoken about trust before with a message called Trust Like a Tree, based on Jeremiah 17. Does anyone remember that? Three of you. All right. See, that's why God wanted me to speak about this again. Uh, <laughs> I am speaking in a different angle on trust today. But So we have spoken about it. But this, this week I felt God lead us to start our series, Reigning in Life, as I said and uh, this time with a specific focus on how we need to know that our trust in God needs to be sustained. It needs to be nurtured. It needs to be protected and kept in place. Otherwise, it will rust, so to speak. Hence the title, Trust is a Must. Don't let it rust. <laughs> I had to play with words, and I had to find something that, re that helps all of us remember this. So I know it's slightly cheesy. Maybe very cheesy. But you can judge this all you want. You're going to walk out here remembering that. Trust is a must. Don't let it rust. Amen? I'm a songwriter. I, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever trusted someone and that person did or said something that broke that trust? It is, it is, it's a hard thing to regain. It's a hard thing to 
feel completely again, right? Would you agree that we link trust to an expectation or an exchange? So I will trust you as long as you are trustworthy. Would you agree? Most of us will do that. Meaning that we will trust someone as long as they are worthy of our trust and and as they remain trustworthy. So I will trust you until you show me that I cannot trust you. Some people we trust easily because they have a certain presence that makes, us, that makes it easy for us to trust them. My wife is like that. I'm in, I think in the spirit it says, trust me on her forehead. Because people just open up to her about their deepest, darkest secrets and most hurt in their lives. It's amazing. People just trust my wife. It's amazing like that. And when we are born into a family, we don't even think about trust. As a young baby, you grow up in a home and they will, a baby instinctively just knows, just trusts that someone will take care of me. Because they don't have the cognitive ability to think of anything else. It's only later in life that they become aware of how trust works. Unfortunately, most of the time, when someone lets you down. Trust is closely linked to faith and love. Would you agree? Faith and love. Sometimes we will use the word faith interchangeably with trust. Usually you will trust people you believe in and love. It goes hand in hand. But if anything happens to break the trust... Then you get interesting combinations like, I love you, but I don't trust you. <laughs> or, my friend, I like you, but I love you, but I don't like you right now. And those, those things happen, and it can also affect our belief. But now we have to ask ourselves this is how we naturally interact as humans. But how, as children of God, now, if you're new to Love Key and to us, we are a Bible believing church. We believe that you're a Christian once you've actually given your life to Christ. There was a choice, and there was, it was followed up by your old self dying and your new creation coming to life in Christ. And you were baptized with water, baptized with the Holy Spirit. You joined a local church, and you were busy with your process of sanctification. It's necessary to define that nowadays. That's what I mean, all right? So how do we, as Christians, as children of God, approach God when it comes to trusting Him? Before we have an encounter with Jesus where we become born again, we are held captive by our sinful nature. And we are heading for an eternity of being separated from God, which is hell. None of us want to be separated from God for eternity. That is hell. When we meet Jesus and then give our lives to Him, we choose to love Him, believe in Him, and wrapped up in that is a choice to trust Him, to trust Jesus. Our encounter with Him will reveal the truth about Him. It brings identity and calling, and it starts the process of getting rid of lies due to past hurts. We've spoken about that at length. And as we journey with God, our trust in Him should grow. Would you agree with that? In our relationship with God, trust has to work differently from how we trust people. 
Because if we bring the system of how we trust people into our relationship with God, we're going to expect something from Him. And when we think He doesn't deliver, our trust in Him will be affected. If we think that He has not proven Himself worthy of trust because He didn't meet my expectation, then my trust can take a knock. But we need to realize... And take in a posture of trusting God that can and should always, that, sorry, we should take a posture that God must always be trusted no matter what. If we are really truly born again, that must be an intentional thing we do. I trust you, even when it doesn't make sense. Why should we do that? Because we cannot possibly fathom, we cannot possibly fathom the plans and intentions of the one who created the universe. And therefore, we cannot apply our trust system to him in the same way we apply it to people. Can you see that? We, we cannot take what we learned about trust in dealing with humans and apply it to God. I want to show you the dangers of having our trust in God fluctuate in line with the circumstances and feelings from life in Gideon, the judge. We're going to look at what happened to him in terms of his trust in God when circumstances weren't what he wanted it to be. It didn't meet up with his expectations. And I'm hoping that this story will be a cautionary tale as well as an inspirational one. Because when Gideon did trust God, he reigned in life. But the, when he, his reigning in life was dependent on his trust in God, in Christ. Now, you know that when, when, it, when he makes a choice to step out of trust, then things change again. I'm going to show you that to you now. All right. The story of Gideon spans over Judges 6 and 8, from Judges 6 verse 1 to Judges 8 verse 35. Sorry, is there a technical problem? Okay. All right. That's, that's okay. Let's start again. So, in Judges... 6 verse 1 till Judges 8.35 is where we find the story of Gideon, the judge. Now, the context of this is quite fascinating. Because when you read the book of Joshua and you read the ending of Joshua, we see that Israel was actually on a, in a good place because Joshua was straight with them and he sorted them out. But when that generation passed, in the beginning of Judges, we read that they lost they, they, they completely went away from God's ways and they started worshiping the bowls and all the other idols. And then we see judge after judge and the same pattern emerging. And then we come to the story of Gideon and it starts off in Judges 6.1 where it says that, and the people of God did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and he gave them over to the Midianites. So, what does that mean? When, when will your devotion move from one place to another? 
It's when you've lost trust in the first object of your devotion, right? Why else would you go? If I still trusted God, I would stay there. So Israel is in a state of distrust in God. And they've taken their trust and they've put it on the balls and the other gods. Man-made things with no power. They did that. God said, this is evil in the sight of me. So he delivered them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. From this we see that a lack of trust can lead to sin, and then sin has consequences. Can you see that? Now what happened was the, the Israelites were afraid of the Midianites, and they hid away, and then they would come out and secretly try to plant crops and work with their animals so that they can have food. But then the Midianites would come, and they would take out the crops, steal the animals or kill the animals, and it says there, the Midianites would steal their food, and Israel became an impoverished nation. Then, in this circumstance, now Israel has lost trust in God. They are afraid of the Midianites. We see a story emerge where an angel of the Lord, and they use angel and Lord interchangeably here, comes to Gideon. And in Judges 6 verse 12, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him while he was... Um, working with wheat in a wine press. He's doing the wrong thing in the wrong place <laughs> because he's hiding. It says, And the angel Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And I think Gideon at a moment like, Immediately, he shows his mistrust for God, who he feels has forsaken Israel. Judges 6, verse 12 to 17, listen to this conversation. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Have you ever said that out loud? If God is for me, why is all this happening? Have you been in conversations where people said that? Anyone? Come on, speak back to me. All right. Gideon said to him, uh, and, and, and where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, <laughs> I love this. So Gideon is moaning and complaining. And the angel, it's almost like the angel doesn't really even listen to him ignores all the arguments and says, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Gideon might have felt like, Are we in conversation? <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? The response from the angel brings him back to task, brings him back to the focus that God wants. Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed and realized I am just rambling off a whole bunch of complaints. Be honest. All right. This is what happens here. And the Lord just comes and says, go in this might of yours. He's calling out the gold in Gideon that Gideon doesn't even realize he has. Then 
He said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. I've got nothing. Why would you use me? And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. He's still not convinced. How many of you would be convinced if an angel rocks up? Like, I'm there. I'm like, you got my attention. Whatever you say, I'll, I'll do. But see the level of mistrust. Do you see the level of hurt and mistrust that Gideon has? He has a whole conversation. He makes excuse after excuse why he shouldn't be doing what God is telling him to do. And then he asks for a sign. So he's getting there like, okay, let me check this out. You know, if you, <laughs> if you really are who you say you are and you want me to do what you want me to do, then let's get a sign. So um, he asks for a sign. He goes and gets food. He brings it to the angel. The angel pour, says, pour it out on the rock. And the angel calls down fire. It laps up the food. Gideon is convinced. The angel leaves, but immediately he hears God speak again. And God gives him a promise. He says, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. The angel leaves after a sign. Now he trusts. Now he hears God speak without the angel present. Do you see that? Because he trusts, he suddenly has access to God speaking here. And he knows God is speaking. And God gives him a Word, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then the Bible says that same night God spoke to him again. And he gave him an instruction. So first God gives a promise because now Gideon trusts him. Now God is checking him. Where is his trust level? I've given you a promise. Now I'm telling you. Go and destroy the altar of Baal that is here in your village and replace it with my altar. His trust is being tested, tested by the presence or absence of action. It's easy to say, yeah, I trust God. But when it comes down to it, will you do what it takes? Now listen to this. This is beautiful. God instructs him to replace the idol, the false god, the lie that is in their village, among their people, there's a lie that they are worshiping because they think it's true because they took their trust from the truth and they put their trust in the lie. And God is saying, get rid of the lie and replace it with me, my truth. He's like, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it at night so that no one can catch me. So he goes and he pulls it down and replaces it with God. The next morning, the people get up and they're upset. They're like, who the heck did this? And everyone knows somehow that it was Gideon. So they come to kill him. But listen to this. Gideon's dad, Joash, stands in the gap for his son. And he says, and he argues with them and he sways their hearts. And instead of coming to kill him, 
they start calling Gideon another name. A name that means the one who took out Baal. When you trust God and you obey His word, your actions register in the spiritual realm. And those around you may want to come to attack you. But when they hear the truth, they will go, okay, and they will give you a new name. How powerful is that? Now, this has all happened. He's trusting God. He did his first action. The next thing we read is that the enemy, the Midianites, are gathering against them. They say they look like a swarm of locusts. And they have so many camels, it's like the sand on the seashore. You can't count it. So there are millions, not tens of thousands, millions coming against them. Such a beautiful verse that says, when this happened, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew the trumpet and the people gathered behind him. What a moment. God's Spirit in him brought authority and influence. And people recognized the anointing and calling of God on Gideon, and they rallied to get behind him. Can you see that? It's not just because he blew a trumpet. Some people blow a trumpet and you go, yay, shush. But there was something about this moment where Gideon, with the Spirit of the Lord upon him, blew the trumpet. Everyone knew, I need to come and I need to be ready to fight. Then, next we read something that makes you think the moment was maybe a little bit too big for Gideon. Suddenly we see that his trust is beginning to fade a little bit. His trust was starting to pick up traces of rust, so to speak, in the face of pressure and circumstances. He's now got a bunch of people that with expectations, like you're our leader now. And on the other side, there's millions and millions of enemy. And he takes a moment and he goes to God. And this is the encouraging thing. When the doubt wanted to start creeping in, he didn't go anywhere else. He went to God. He was experiencing lack of faith when he went to God. Why do you think God indulged him asking for another sign? And then another one. Why? I believe it's because he came to God. And he didn't go anywhere else. And God honored his, because it still showed that he trusted him. I trust you that you will give me a sign, that you will show me this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Amen? I think the note that we can all take from this moment is that it's okay to have moments where we feel like our trust in God is a little bit shaken. But take it to God. Take it to God. Let Him reestablish your trust relationship with Him. Now, the Israelites camped quite close to the enemy camp. The, the guys who outnumbered them by millions, they were camped quite closely to them. And all these men have now gathered, all right? And God told Gideon, there's too many, there's too many Israelites. 
They are already outnumbered. And God says, it's too many people. Get rid of them. And he says, why? This is awesome. God doesn't always say why. Here he says why. Because if you get the victory, you will think it was you that got the victory. And you won't glorify me. So he said, ask those who are afraid or fearful to go home. So he says, all right. Everyone who's afraid, and I'm secretly hoping there's no one, put up your hands. 22,000 men put up their hands. Yeah, I don't want to be here. I'd rather be here. I'm, I'm afraid. 22,000 leave. Can you imagine that feeling? Then he's like, okay, surely, you know, you're done, God. He's like, nah, it's still too many. Go to the water and look at how they drink water. And he says, I'm going to show you two groups of men. The one group are going to get down on their knees and with their hands, and they're going to put their faces in the water and drink like a dog. And others are going to just go down on one knee and lap the water with one hand. And then he said, those who lapped with one hand, those you can take. Um, but there are only 300, Lord. 300. <laughs> they are the right ones. Now, this isn't written in the Bible. I looked for it because I heard a sermon yonks ago where someone interpreted this moment as those who lapped up are the guys who are the, the reason that God chose them is that they were ready to fight. They were only using one hand, so the other hand was free. That if they needed to do something or fight or get up quickly, they could. So they are more prepared, they are more vigilant. It's not in the Bible, but maybe it's true. I don't know. So God told them there's too many. He whittled it down to 300. Man. You know that movie 300 that they did about the um, Spartans? Sparta. I think this will be a much better movie <laughs> if you do it well. Now, he has the 300 men. And God told them that same night that he has delivered the enemy into their hands. 300 men, millions and millions. I have delivered them into your hands. And then God offers him a sign. Can you believe that? They've gone from Gideon asking for a sign to God offering a sign to him. Because now I think God is like, I get you, bro. You need a sign. <laughs> so he says to him, I have delivered them into your hands. But if you're still not sure, sneak into the enemy's camp. There's a sign for you. So he goes down with one of his helpers. And he's sneaking past the tent of the enemy. And then he hears a conversation. The one guy says, I had a dream of this bread of bread loaf of or barley loaf of bread coming through the camp and destroying everything. And the other one says, huh, I know what that means. It means that the sword of the Lord and of Gideon is going to destroy us. Gideon hears this, he's like, Okay, cool, we're gonna win. And he leaves, he leaves. And he go he goes and tells, he goes and tells the people, the three hundred, we're gonna win. He knows now. Do you remember that one term of trust? To know. 
firm, cling to. I know this is going to happen. He then returned to the camp with confidence. He knew that it was going to happen. Now, he takes out the biggest, baddest weapons they can find so that they can fight the enemy. No! They take a trumpet and a poiki with a candle to destroy the millions. What? <laughs> there isn't a conversation between God and Gideon where God specifically tells him to do this. But this is what he does. Do you think Gideon would have come up with this on his own? Highly doubtful, but I don't want to add stuff to the scriptures. But I just think he must have now been so close to God that he's just, he's just moving. Like, I know this is what has to happen because God is now, him, him and God are one. And that's actually where the Lord wants us, I believe. And what's amazing about this dream and the interpretation, it made the enemy scared. It made them scared already. Now, Gideon divides the group of 303 groups, and he tells them where to go stand. And then he says, at my sign, we're going to blow the trumpet and break the pot or the pitcher, we call it a pitcher here, and light the lamp. So they got a trumpet and a light, and they're going to blow this out loud, and then they're going to shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. That's what they're going to do. That's the battle plan. And they do it. And the moment they do it, the Bible says the enemy got so scared, they started to run. And then it says, the Lord turned every man's sword unto his companion. They started killing each other and fleeing. Because they blew a trumpet and lit a light. No, because they trusted God and believed Him. Uh, you know, even if they had swords and they killed a couple of soldiers, God took that glory away from them. He said, no, all the glory belongs to me. No one will hear the story and go, oh, yeah, they must have blown those trumpets really loudly, you know. No, they, this must be God. Amen. Now they are in pursuit of the enemy. They were first under threat of the enemy. Now they are pursuing the enemy. Total role reversal. Because of trust, because of faithfulness, because of obedience. Now Gideon calls Ephraim. All the people that gathered, Ephraim wasn't one of them, the, the tribe. And they were not happy. They came and they're like, hey, why didn't you call us when you broke out the fight? And then Gideon is like this amazing diplomat. He reasons with them, and it says, and Ephraim accepted it and joined them. <laughs> then, but now also Gideon and his 300 goes on pursuing the enemy. There's a whole other story here where they, they pass two places where the people don't want to give them bread. And then Gideon says, when I come back, you're going to be sorry. And then they are. <laughs> the one group of 70 leaders, he ties thorns and briars to them and pulls them around in the streets. And the other group, he tore down their tower and he killed them because they didn't want to feed his army. So Gideon was quite serious. <laughs> but that's not relevant immediately. But I just, That's the sequence of the story. Now after all this has happened, he has killed the kings of Midian. Now the Israelites come to him. And they are now looking up to this man, 
Gideon. And they say, we want you to be our king and your son and your grandson. They must lead us. And when you read the book of Judges, you realize that Israel is, is, is so lost, looking for a leader, that they are just grasping at this moment. And then Gideon said something that's really, that sounds really powerful in that moment, but the very next moment, he does something that doesn't corroborate with what he says. And he says to them, we will not, I will not rule over you, my son will not rule over you, the Lord will rule over you. It's like, well done, Gideon. That sounds amazing. Very good. But then the very next sentence, we read the following. We read that Gideon says to them, you know what? I'm not going to rule over you, but what I would like is if you will just give me some of the earrings you got from the plunder. So they get the earrings. They throw it in a blanket. They're all very happy to give him the earrings. He then melts it down. It the Bible says it, it was about 20 kilograms of gold. So he melts the 20 kilogram of gold down and he makes a um, an sacred gold ephod. Now the ephod is that thing that priests wore when they went into the temple. So it's like a thing that goes over your head and over your body. But this is obviously solid gold and it's a thing that he puts in his hometown. The next verse breaks your heart. It says, soon the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it, the ephod. It became a trap for Gideon and his family. The story ends by saying that there was peace in the land while Gideon was reigning for 40 years. It also said that he had 70 children from Lots of different wives. And one that was for the servant girl became the next leader, but he, I had net droogemaak. I read the next chapter. It's horrific. But anyway. So for 40 years there was peace. But then this, this chapter on his life ends with these horrible words. It says, when Gideon died, they forgot the Lord their God. No trust. Trust. Trust weakening, back on trust. I win, I'm reigning in life. I start thinking this is me. I start pride is coming in. And I make something and it's a, it's a snare and I fall for it and the people fall for it and my life ends and I made no real difference because I shifted my trust again. Trust is a must. Don't let it rust. It is possible that we can fall in the same trap as Israel and Gideon did. We initially may not trust God because of circumstances that we think God should have done differently. And we, we read the word of God and I look at my current circumstances like, this can't be right, so I don't trust you. We go to that place. Then hopefully we have an encounter with God but we're still not sure, and we ask for a sign, some kind of confirmation. How many of you like a sign from God? Lord, if I open my Bible, I want to see the word you. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I need a sign. It makes me think of that, um, 
that movie Ferdinand with the, the bull. <laughs> he's trying to convince himself to go to the market where he's not allowed to go. And he's sitting by a tree. If this apple falls within, and the apple falls, and he's like, oh. <laughs> anyway, he was looking for a sign. If we have that sign, it brings a peace in our hearts. And we have, for a brief moment, unstoppable trust, unstoppable faith, because God has given me a word. God has given me a sign. I've got this. But if we do not take care, and if we are not vigilant, it is possible for our pride to start taking some steps into our minds and for us to start thinking, yeah, you know, I had something to do with this. And before you know it, you are exactly where Gideon ended up, trying to take all the, the glory and making it about you and forgetting who the one is we should trust. A comfort zone with God can be the catalyst for trust to rust. Do you get that? A comfort zone can be the catalyst for trust to rust. We cannot allow this to happen. God is not a man that he should lie. He is our God. He is our heavenly Father. He is holy and just and righteous. And he deserves our unconditional trust. He is worthy of it. He deserves it. But we have to stay vigilant and intentional about keeping our trust in Him. And if we have those moments that Gideon had as well, where it starts, you feel like it's waning. The, 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 the trust is, I'm struggling with this one. I've, I'm having a moment like that myself in my own life. Do what Gideon did when he was doing well. Go to God. Say, Lord, I'm, oh, I'm struggling. Just, just remind me again. What did you say? Just, just show me again. What was it that you promised? And then Holy Spirit will come and settle that. And you're like, okay, back on track. Here we go. So there's two things we need to watch out for. On the one hand, when our trust and our faith starts to to feel like it weakens, we shouldn't go anywhere else but to God or people of God. Amen? And the other thing we need to watch out for is that when it is going well, because we are reigning in life, because we are trusting Him, to not fall into the trap of growing pride in our hearts, because that will bring us back down again. God is trustworthy all the time. Are we? I want us to take a moment and just reflect and respond to God about this. So let's just close our eyes and take a moment where we just say, Lord, I want to bring all those moments where I didn't come to you when I lacked trust. And all those moments where it was going so well and I made it about me. My pride came into the picture and I, and I, and I, I suffered the consequences. I just bring all those moments before you, Lord, and I ask that you will forgive me. I repent of those things right now. And Lord, I ask that you will help me to stay in that place of absolute trust that is sustained in my relationship with you. Just take a moment and do that.
I'm just going to give you a few seconds. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. You are so welcome in this place. I ask that you will minister to each person, each heart right now. Lord, where trust in you is lacking, I pray right now that you will come and reestablish it by speaking a word of encouragement like you did with Gideon into every person's here into their spirit being so they can stand up on the firm foundation of trusting you. And Lord, if there's anyone here right now that may realize they were doing well and then they started making about themselves and their own strength and they realize it right now, Lord, I pray that there will be no guilt, shame, or condemnation but just a conviction to repent and come back to trusting you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are doing that right now, ministering to each person here and online. Lord, I also pray that you help all of us to not let our circumstances speak louder than your word and your promises. Thank you that you reestablish, reaffirm every promise spoken over our lives, every promise in your word. And we can know that your word is yes and amen. And we can stand on that firm foundation. Thank you that you reestablish our trust in you right now. We repent of pridefulness and we repent of idolatry in any form. We just want to trust in you and you alone and we pray that together as the saints of God and everyone says amen and amen thank you so much thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.